0: This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
1: And this is Jared Murphy from City Limits. Been a lot of different things popping on the housing front over the past couple weeks. But I really like the piece that Gotham Gazette had about... People who own their homes and where they sit or stand when gentrification comes to their neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, this was something we did. We took a nice deep look at it after you at City Limits had sort of asked, "Is speculation on the rise in East New York?" Uh, colleagues at WNYC have raised the issue in the "There Goes the Neighborhood" series, as well as in interviews with the mayor. And so we we took a deep look at this question of if you're a homeowner in an area soon to be rezoned, you're actually potentially in really good shape. You could make quite a bit of money on your investment if you decide to sell um, to a speculator or to somebody looking to develop the land, or you decide to sit on it and watch your property values rise. Although there are some some issues if you choose either of those things, right?
1: Right. I think it's so interesting. You know, It, it takes us beyond the step of realizing that gentrification creates winners and losers to realize that even among winners and losers, you win and lose on different on different aspects of it, right? right? If it's your house, you know, yeah, the the value uh, grows. You can if you're trying to move out of the city, it's good for you. Uh, if you want to remortgage it and send your kids to college, it's good for you. You got to pay higher property taxes. Um, and but you know, some people also would say if you're really invested in a neighborhood, you like the neighborhood, that's why you live there. To see a change around you is unsettling. Um, you know, if you live in a two-story row house and suddenly 12-story buildings are popping up around you, that affects your quality of life. So it gets very complicated when you get down to that level of things.
0: Right. And it's also this secondary sort of level of displacement, right? You know, we think of gentrification. It's like renters who can't afford the rent once it goes up have to leave a neighborhood and potentially they become homeless. Potentially they have to move further out from sort of downtown Brooklyn, downtown Manhattan, right? But the people who own homes, you know, if they are under pressure to sell and they get a good deal, nobody's going to cry for somebody who makes 40% on an investment from several years ago. But where does that person then go and live? You know, that that's a question of displacement here, too, even if you decide to sort of make a good profit on your, your investment of owning a home.
1: And in a lot of neighborhoods that are affected by gentrification, the homeowner is tied to a renter or renters because you own your home. That you have property in it that you rent out, and so when you make the decision to sell, you know you're directly improving perhaps your own bottom line, but you're also directly affecting uh, a, a renter, not in a multi-unit building, not someone who's going to be likely to be affected by the affordable housing subsidies we talk so much about, but someone who's part of the the mix of the city's housing demand.
0: That's and that's a fascinating aspect of it that we looked at is there, especially in places like East New York, maybe a little bit less so in Flushing, a little bit less so in East Harlem, but. In a lot of these communities, so many of the homes are these sort of one-to-four family homes. They're not big apartment buildings, and there's a lot of renters involved, and there's a lot of people who, again, yeah, would be sort of the secondary displacement level if someone decides to sell their home to someone who would then build a much larger building, perhaps, on that property under the new rezoning.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Flushing. We did a piece uh, last week about that neighborhood. Again, one of the neighborhoods that's going to see a rezoning plan, things in the draft stages at this point. But one of the concerns raised there is what is the kind of impetus for the plan? What's the blueprint on which the de Blasio plan is being written? And how much does it borrow from this, uh, per, what's perceived as kind of a pro developer plan put forward by the Flushing, um, I think Flushing Willis Point LDC a couple of years ago, a corporation that ran afoul of some ethics concerns, but certainly is seen as representing one side of that neighborhood and questions about whether the priorities in that plan have been sort of copied and pasted into what the city plans to do there
0: this is one of the most fascinating elements in new york city politics certainly housing politics right now right is from the de blasio administration how is their housing policy how is their rezoning policy how how much is it aligned to what developers want and how much of it is really responsive to community needs how do you thread that line how do you judge the affordability levels and ensuring developer profits and all of these sort of margin questions that can lead to some really significant policy decisions. We know where a lot of the power lies in this city in real estate and in and in money. Uh, and the question is, when they're looking at community development, how much say is are the developers able to have, especially over this you know quote unquote progressive
1: mayor? It's such a balancing act, and part of the balance for generations now in affordable housing in the city has been this community preference, which, uh, you know, when the city does subsidizes an affordable housing building, 50% of the units um, are set aside, basically, for folks from that local community board. And it's been in place since the Koch administration, um, through all the three major city-wide housing initiatives, but it's being challenged in a lawsuit. Um, As part of a kind of a a broader look at how affordable housing is or isn't fair housing and the question of whether because New York is so racially segregated by geography, if it discriminates against people and is therefore illegal. And I think a lot of housing people would, would disagree with that critique, but are very concerned that a court may accept it. And that's going to really affect some of the political un- underpinnings of getting these rezonings done.
0: That's a, it's another. That's another fascinating thing on the table. And I think you know the question of community preference: can you carve out units for people currently living in the area, which is what a lot of people are concerned about, right? There's going to be new development. Can the people living in these communities now afford the new apartments? Uh, is a big question. And when you when you do carve in community preference, you're trying to protect those tenants, right? But You know, there's a good philosophical question there because there's also people being priced out of different neighborhoods all over the city. Why shouldn't they have a fair shot at some of these new units in a different neighborhood?
1: Exactly. And I think one of the questions that came up during mandatory inclusionary housing and during East New York, too, the two sort of big things that have come through the council so far, is what was the administration going to do for truly lower incomes, below the 60% where affordable housing normally lives, even below the 40% that some of the MIH provisions address. And the city's program for addressing that is called ELLA, which stands for Extremely Low and Low Income Affordability, which refers to very specific income classes. Uh, We had an an article by Abby Savage-Liu about that. That looks at that program and some of the, you know, that that is intended to serve the very poorest people that this plan will serve. But there are still uh, a lot of questions about how many units that will actually produce and exactly how low they will go because of all the trade offs we talk about. You know, deeper affordability means fewer units. Uh, deeper affordability means trying to get higher income units to offset them. Uh, in the end, the math just becomes something that uh, the city can't escape.
0: And now that's a city housing HPD uh, right. subsidy program. It is, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And and so you're watching what in terms of Ella? what do we what are we sort of looking for? We're looking
1: to find out how how many units will it hit. And the funding that they have in place um, allows you to make a rough calculation, but but they won't say exactly what their target is. And also, you know, how low will that affordability be? You know, I mean, there are people who are at 40% AMI, people at 30%, people lower than that. And a lot of the pressure from some groups in some of these communities is to go 30 and below. But that just gets very, very challenging because of the cost of you know debt service and the construction on the housing.
0: And you had a good point in your city limits article on the Flushing rezoning, which is that the sort of uh, forecast for units in Flushing look like they're going to be a bit less affordable than the forecast in East New York. Right. Right. That 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 those numbers. And again, there are different communities, and you know, but but it's uh, it is about where the city is deciding to sort of dedicate its its subsidies
1: absolutely and different you know different real estate market in different neighborhoods there are different points in kind of their ascendance and different priorities by the local political class and you know what they want to see built there and subsidized there
0: and that's what we have to watch as flushing moves forward or sputters out i mean you know uh, i'm hearing some some question you know there's some questions around where flushing's gonna go and i know Uh, the local state senator, local assembly member, you know, had put out some stuff that they're very skeptical of, of this rezoning moving forward. And the local council member has been fairly quiet. I know uh, in response to both of our publications, uh, his office, uh, Council Member Peter Ku has been pretty reserved in not giving interviews, but only sending you know some brief statements. Um, so we'll, we'll be seeing in the next couple of weeks if flushing is really going to move forward and what those levels of affordability look like.
1: And speaking of questions going forward, there's this tax exemption called 421A. You may have heard of it. Uh, and uh, we're still waiting to find out if it is going to uh, rise and walk again.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's dead-ish um, <laughs> uh, or or pretty dead, depending on you know how you think about it. But um, yeah, you know the state uh, legislature is back in session as of yesterday, after a couple weeks off, and we only have about twenty session days between now and the middle of June. It's already May, and um, I'm very interested to see. Okay, if, if real estate and the building trades have not come up with a palatable um, compromise by now, which is what they were tasked to do a while back by the state lawmakers, um, if they can't come up with a palatable compromise, does Governor Cuomo and the state legislature decide, okay, maybe we do need to come back in and legislate this? And that's something very much worth watching on
1: 421A. Around the same time that that comes in, we'll learn what the city's rent guidelines board is going to do on rent-stabilized housing. Uh, Yesterday they came out with their preliminary recommendation, which for one-year renewals targets an increase between zero and two percent. That's how they do this. They announce the range, and then in June we get the final uh, decision. Last year that was zero percent, which was unprecedented. The year before it was a very modest increase Landlords are starting to cry or have been crying poverty. Tenants wanted to actually get a rent rollback. They were denied that. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how de Blasio, who has always been dealing with kind of two camps uh, in this world, the developer side on one end and the landlord side on the other, uh, whether he continues to press his affordability case directly to the landlord's pockets.
0: Yeah, I think we knew that a rent rollback wasn't happening last year and we knew it wasn't happening this year. um, But... Exactly. That'll be very interesting to watch. The rent guidelines board is something de Blasio has a lot more influence over than he clearly does on 421A, which, you know, again, both of these are key aspects of his housing plan and his sort of city politics and what he's able to sort of sell to, to New Yorkers about the work he's doing.
1: Well, then I'm a homeowner and also a landlord. My brother rents for me. I haven't raised his rent in five years. I'm thinking this year I'm going to do whatever the rent, line guide, rent guidelines board tells me to do. So... Jesse, I'm watching very carefully,, uh, you know, you should pray for zero percent,
0: and I'm sure he will.